Okay, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, I got two gentlemen, Dane and Jared Connolly. They are incredible affordable housing real estate investors in the Columbus, Ohio area. I am so excited to have them come on because they're going to share an amazing journey of how they went from zero to almost 150 units of affordable housing, helping so many people along the way. So, Dane, Jared, welcome to the show. Tell us just a little bit about yourself how you got involved in real estate and how you got from zero to 150 units um, in your real estate investment journey, man. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Ken. Uh, I'll start off since I'm the older brother. Uh, I get to bully the younger brother. Around. Uh, my name's Dane Conley. I, live, I actually live here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, you know, obviously Jared's the the little brother and um, my, the, the story with, you know, how we got started actually is, um, I've always wanted to do real estate investing, but uh, never thoroughly understood how to get started. And then, you know, I had friends that had you know, a couple of units here, a couple of units there. Um, but to me, that that economy of scale, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, I, I may be breaking even or, or making, I remember the one scenario I ran, I may be making $80 a month, you know, owning this condo in, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and Jared and I were just spitting ideas and, and I was kind of talking to him about it. And he says, well, why don't you try multifamily? And I, what, what in the heck is that? You know? And, um, <clears throat> then as he was telling me about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes, that's exactly what I want to do. He had just read, I think, uh, wheelbarrow profits by Jake and Gino. And he said, you got to read this book. I read it in, you know, two days and, you know, being a competitive guy, that was my challenge. So I, I had to read it in a, in a day and a half, but uh, literally got got the book and read it in a day and a half. And, and that lit our fire. And we were really, really, really uh, both on the same, you know, wavelength of, hey, let's do this. You know, you only live once. We're going to make mistakes, which we're more than welcome to reveal some of the scar tissue we have and the mistakes that we've made or the tuition that we've paid you know i guess um and yeah we you know we just kind of uh we made a lot of mistakes early but i think everybody does you know i don't know anybody that hasn't so that's how we got started um and then i'll let jared kind of expand on on the the number of units we started with and 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 uh, where we are now today yeah thanks thanks for having us on kent um for me, you know, just to kind of piggyback on what Dane was saying, yeah, there were a lot of things in that multifamily space that just made sense. And, you know, I was doing a lot of reading, listening to podcasts, uh, and then talked to Dane. And because um, I was initially thinking of selecting a, a market out where I live in, in the Colorado area. And I uh, mentioned it to Dane and, you know, he read that book and we both both were super excited for the opportunity to work together and thought Columbus might make more sense. Um, and it was within about three months of us making that commitment that we we found our first deal. It was a 20 unit complex. It was um, essentially 10 duplex townhome style properties all located together. And we purchased that. And uh, I mean, that was super exciting to jump into. Um, that's also where a lot of the the pain and the, uh, the learning came from <laughs> as well. And really and truly is what introduced us into that affordable housing space. It was a a C-class asset, and uh, when we purchased it, it was roughly about forty percent. Forty percent of the tenants were, were Section Eight tenants. Got it. So that's really interesting. You guys went from zero to twenty right away, which is complete opposite of what everybody in the West is like. You know, go single family. Uh, you know, invest in what you know. But you guys went from zero to twenty, like. First of all, let's break it down for folks. How did you even pick the market? Because you mentioned you were in Colorado. Um, he, Dane was in Columbus. What made you decide like, hey, Columbus, Ohio was going to be the market of choice? Was it because of proximity to Dane? Was it because of cash flow opportunity? Tell us a little bit more. What was the, the thought process behind your, your, yeah. your market selection there? Definitely. Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of it initially had to do with what... Um, you know, where can we stretch our dollar the most? And, um, you know, out here, some of the markets I was looking at, I could buy, you know, essentially six units for what we paid for our first 20 unit. Um, I think what we wanted as well was 
a mixture of cash flow and appreciation. Um, so Columbus was a nice market for that as well, where, you know, out here again, a lot of it's really low cash flow, more of an appreciation play. And so that, that helped. And then Dane being there, us growing up in that area, I mean, those are all huge pluses as well. Yeah. I, I had to see it and touch it and feel it. And you know, for that first investment of, of capital, it, it didn't dawn on me until after we closed. I'm like, Oh my God, you haven't seen these yet, Jared. And I'm sending him pictures and telling him about the feces in the basement. And he's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, but he trusted, you know, our, our knowledge and, and me that, uh, that we were making the right decision. <laughs> oh my God. I, I love that. You're like, Oh, that's a lot of pictures now. Sight and scene. I, I still remember the first property I bought sight and scene. Like someone laughed at me. They're like, what did you do? Um, so props to you guys for taking that leap of faith almost, but I'm sure you guys did all the educate, um, did all the reading, educating yourselves, et cetera, along that process. Um, so you guys talked about the 20 units. It was 40% section eight already. Was your exit strategy always to go full section eight? Like how, what was your thought process behind? Do you keep some market rents? Because for 20 units, you almost have to think about like when you're renovating, you have to stagger something, right? So how did you guys think about like, hey, what is the plan here? And obviously I'm going to assume some, some issues kind of came up during that process, but how, what was your plan in the beginning? And did that change as you kind of learn more and more about the property? Yes. Yeah, so we, we, yeah, we did have that vision of affordable housing. We knew it didn't have to be 100% section eight. Uh, it could be workforce housing mm -hmm. or, or what have you, <clears throat> but <laughs> before i think the month before we closed or a couple weeks before we closed jared and i are both in medicine and and we've done our fair share of reporting and lectures and and so we're used to coming with a, a presentation and, and facts and statistics and so we put together um a proposal to section eight and we kicked around this idea of like look we know we're nobody compared to some of the big mm -hmm. big time investors here in town but they don't have to know that, <laughs> you know? Uh, but, and, and we just wanted to introduce ourselves and get on their radar and, and learn how they work and, mm -hmm. and how can we help them? How can we help them? How can we help them? And so we put together a really cool presentation of what we plan to do and, and went in there. And I will say this uh, at the time, section eight here in Columbus uh, was very, very, very well run. I, I, I walked out mm. of that meeting. Uh, I deal with Medicare and, and, and government uh, all the time and, and healthcare, and those are not well-run uh, companies, in my opinion, but Section 8 in Columbus at the time was, they were blown away that we came in professionally, um, you know, looking mm. the part, but also with the presentation and the vision. Of, of this is, yes, this is what they look like now, but here's a vision board, you know, a mock-up of what they're going to look like. Yeah. And if we do that, this is what we would like from you in terms of rents. And, and how do we get there? How do you do mm -hmm. that? Um, and the the woman at the time who was in charge of, uh, like, I think her title was tenant relations, um, landlord relations, said, if you do this, call me. I want to come out uh, to the property and, and make sure you're not full of, you know what, mm -hmm. uh, she deals with mm -hmm. bad people all day. They, in fact, she yeah. has so much scar tissue on her from this property because of the, the other landlord that she was like, whatever. She didn't believe it. We got there. Um, I think she came out, I don't know, three, four months later when the majority of the renovations were done. And that's when I knew we were on to something really good uh because the the units looked much much better obviously mm -hmm. um the tenants were happy but she came on site and she got emotional and oh. this is a woman who had been working in section eight for a decade plus um gave me a hug i'm a hugger you know so she's getting <laughs> emotional i don't i don't want to see a this you know a woman cry and so she gives me a big hug and we talked and it was a really cool experience. And then she pulled out of her um, pocket uh, uh, pre-approval letter, basically oh. guaranteeing us X amount of rent. 
for all 20 units whenever they come available. She said, I want every one of these if they come available, and I guarantee you X, which was more than what we had requested initially, wow. I think. So that's how that's how we got started and, and you know, speared that relationship. And that carried us well to where we are today, really, that if, if you mention our name to the majority of the people there, they know that we're not buttheads, that we're not slumlords, that, that we're going to do the right thing. And it became a thing when they came on site to do uh, inspections. Mm-hmm. Inspections, we flew through them. And if there were Love little it. things that they would ding us on, they would enable us to fix them there on site and not delay, it. you know, by coming out in another month or six weeks. Got um, it. They worked with Got us. It. And it became this mutual respect and, and and trust system almost oh that's awesome man what a great story not only did you did you help the tenants but even someone at the housing authority recognized the great work that you guys are doing and that is so awesome guys um like what i want to make sure I, for this transaction is this was the first deal for you guys and for many of our listeners it's going to be the first deal for them i want to try to demystify the process a little bit here and just Help us understand, like, how did you find this deal and how did you finance this deal for the most for the most part? Let's start with that. Um, we found the deal on LoopNet, uh, believe it or not. This is this is late 2018. So, I mean, the market's starting to heat up for mm-hmm. sure, but it's nothing like it. It has been uh, and it had been sitting there for a while. Um and we were looking for like a value add play and mm-hmm. this this seemed like that um and so dane went looked at the units was like oh yeah you know you know they need some work here or there we were looked at rents and thought okay you know there's some there's some room to to raise rents up uh more at the market area uh, or market rents and so that sort of locked us into the deal um and then financing it um, we just, we did a community bank, uh, just traditional bank financing, uh, at that point in time, especially we, we didn't have any, uh, understanding or education in any sort of creative financing. So we just did traditional 20% down, um, with the community bank, which I would say being brand new in all these things, uh, you know, talking to a commercial real estate agent, <laughs> talking to a community bank, um, you know, I think. We, we did our best to educate ourselves. We definitely had a lot to learn. And at the same time, I think we were honest about what we knew and what we didn't know. And the individuals in that transaction, I think, you know, really did their, their best to guide us. Um, you know, I'd say you have to exercise a little bit of caution with the agent because typically in a commercial deal, you don't, you don't often have like a, a listing agent and a buyer's agent. Usually there's just one agent. And so, they are representing both sides. So you really need to be careful with what you disclose. Um, mm-hmm. The community le- uh, bank lender was great. And honestly, we've used him on, on several deals uh, and, and still have a great relationship relationship with him. Um, and I think, you know, to Dane's point earlier of just trying to present yourself in a professional way, um, you know, we, we wanted to have a plan that we could articulate to, especially on the financing side, this is our vision. You know, we're not just buying this building and, you know, hopefully it works out. Like, here's what we're thinking of doing. Here's sort of the play, uh, even from a, you know, 30,000 foot level. I think, I think that ability to articulate that was, was helpful. Um, and then the, you know, the financing for that, the 20% down was just money we had earmarked, um, for kind of long-term, we were both very motivated to start generating passive income for that flexibility piece in our lives. And so we looked at this, like investing into our retirement or our kids, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, savings for our kids in the future. So uh, we just earmarked that money, you know, into multifamily instead of into a, you know, stocks or mutual funds. So. No, that's awesome. And I want to highlight that you guys went to a community bank, right? Everybody only knows like these big national banks. Did you guys find, that your story for your your vision for affordable housing helped you get that loan a little bit easier because you you do have government backed rent right they pay on time every month there's a certain portion that they will pay on time guaranteed every month even if a tenant doesn't pay what was easier about the pitch and what was harder about the pitch just because of section eight just because you might have some folks that are a little wary about section eight where they're like hey it could turn out into a really really poor asset did you guys run across any sort of difficult questions while you're talking with the lenders 
Yeah, I think it, it remi- correct me if I'm wrong here, Jared. I think initially we got quite a bit of kickback because we didn't have experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were both relatively younger. Um, I mean, probably not as young as you. Uh, I probably have <laughs> at least a decade or more on you. Um, but that, that was the initial kickback is you guys have never done this before. And now you're going from zero to 20 units. And when Jared says C class units, that's very, very, very generous. Uh, we had no idea what we were in. for. <laughs> um, so that was the initial kickback. And I think what really truly helped us to what, what you were saying, Ken, is we were prepared. We knew our, we knew our numbers. Uh, we didn't know what we were getting in into in terms of the enormity of the rehab, but we were professional. We answered the questions. We were honest and straightforward. Um, and that's what got us through. I, I, I think there were multiple lenders that wouldn't work with us, if I remember correctly, initially. Um, and this this guy was willing to, to you know jump on with us, this bank, this lender. And that's awesome. I want to call this out for the listeners. Like you will get no's. Like it's not like Dana and Jared went in there and like first day they're like, oh, zero to 20. No problem. You guys, you guys got this. Right. Um, so thank you for sharing some of the details about the lending process. Like it's normal for people to expect no's along that process. Right now you guys have acquired the process. You guys have closed it. How did the rehab go, guys? Like, did you guys have a contractor walking with you guys and come up with a plan? Let's do X unit, unit one, unit two, unit three first. Like, tell us a little bit about rehab and how you guys came up with a plan for that. You're breaking up. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, this is where yeah, we may be uh, sobbing uh, while one of us is uh, muted and the other one's talking through. Uh, Are we allowed to about... swear on this podcast? <laughs> Do Talk whatever about... you like. We want you to be authentic because this is important. People need to understand what yeah. the, the, the stuff that's going on here. Yeah, yeah. I'll let Jared take this, but t- thank you for letting us talk about scar tissue because you and I talked about this before the show is, a lot of podcasts that we listen to, it's great, but it's always the, hey, we've got 4,000 units now and I'm making this much money. Well, they they made mistakes, you know, it, it, but nobody wants to talk about that. And, you know, we have no problem talking about that. And I think it's good. You know, that's how you learn. You, you know, the, the things I've learned in my life with business and relationships it's usually not because I was the smartest guy in the room and was perfect. You know, it's because I made mistakes and, and whatnot. And man, we made a we made a bunch of mistakes early on. So I'll let Jared <laughs> explain those. Um, I'll give you the overview. We can dive deep any place that sounds interesting. But yeah, we close and um, you know, similarly, like we were talking earlier, I think we were relying as uh, on people we would be introduced to for the next sort of reference. So, you know, the agent helped us find, you know, the lender. Um, I'm sure, you know, between those two, we got insurance uh, contacts. And then similarly, we got referred to, uh, I think we, I think initially there might've been a couple contractors and we selected one who, who seemed great. Um, you know, we chatted with them was totally on board, super fair pricing. Um, and, you know, we, we were new into this. We, we wanted, you know, not only did we just have the 20 units, but we were also thinking, okay, where, where's the next deal and the deal after that? So we're thinking big picture and, and looking for people who we could grow with um, and felt initially like, wow, there's just, just great synergy here. Uh, we kind of get each other. And um, initially it was great. Like came up with a whole plan of this is what we need to do. There, there were a lot of things on inspection, like just the, the sort of formal inspection that came up. So we sort of incorporated that into here's all this just deferred maintenance, like some structural issues where they needed some support beams, like in basements, you know, just stuff that needed to be replaced, repaired. Um, and then incorporating that into how we want to make the units look as they turn um, and then work on the exterior. So it was, it was like a super heavy value add. Mold um, eradication also. <laughs> exactly. Mold eradication, did lots of infestations. I mean, it was everything. Um, and so we, we kind of had this big uh, spreadsheet essentially of everything that needed to happen in each unit and kind of turned the contractor loose and it, and it went great initially like the first couple units we had a we had a vacancy like right away somebody moved out essentially from the time we submitted our offer to the time we closed 
And um, he turned that unit and it was sharp. I remember, I remember Dane sending me pictures and, and all, and it was like, wow, this is great. This is awesome. And the price point was so spot on. And then, you know, I, I think it was a combination of um, getting too comfortable because again, it, it was, you know, obviously we're brothers. Uh, we're pretty close. I think we were having like a similar sense of comfort with this contractor where, you know, he was saying and doing all the right things. And we just started to let our guard down. We're like, okay, go do these things. Um, we have jobs uh, outside of investing too. And so that there's a natural pull there and families as well. Um, so I think it was a combination of that. And then, you know, as, as we've reflected this several times, a lack of just, you know, proper due diligence up front. I think we were too comfortable with somebody referred us to this person. They seemed great when we interacted. That's where we left it. We didn't really look in on deeper levels, like is this person licensed as a contractor? Are they insured, et cetera? You know, what are their ratings like? Do they, do they have a better business bureau rating? All of those things. And essentially what happened is the money kept going out. Like we kept getting invoices for things. Yep, looks good, great, sign off. Um, and then um, we we put down a ton of money, something like 20% of the cost for like roofing material, siding, et cetera, for the whole complex, which is a sizable amount. Um, and then there were always reasons why those, those parts of the project couldn't happen. Like, oh, um, you know, the truck with the supplies were, was delayed or weather, you know, or, oh, this unit came vacant. So I have to go do that now. Um, and it seemed to make sense. I think we were both were just like, okay, yeah, whatever. We kept paying invoices that were coming through without then really getting any proof that the work was happening. Um, again, kind of letting our guard down and, and really, you know, what ended up happening was essentially, uh, we, uh, this contractor essentially stole between money paid for work not done or uh, down payments for materials we never received. It was about $100,000, which was absolutely crushing the moment. I still, and I never will forget that, that the moment we figured out, wait, something's wrong and it's really, really wrong was terrible because that was essentially our, our seed money for the next deal. And not only is that gone, but all the work that we need to have done on this property is not done too. And at the same time, our, we're firing our first property management company. And we probably had 70% or so, 75%, something like that occupancy. So people are moving out. The buildings look terrible. They're half done. There's like, um, you know, tar paper hanging off the roofs because the shingles have been ripped off. And it's just, you're, you're getting hit from all angles at that point. Oh man, that is, that is a hard hit right there. And I think, and I'm sure you guys have learned from that, right? Now you guys are probably way, way more in depth about vetting your contractors and making sure I'm assuming like requesting pictures from every sort of work before any invoices are paid. Um, so you talked about two things. One is you actually fired your contractor and you probably had to hire another one. You also had to fire your property manager. Why did you fire the property manager? So I understand the contractor part, right? You figured out eventually he wasn't delivering work. <laughs> How about the property manager? Like what were some of the red, red flags about the property management company? Because it's important for the listeners to know like, hey, if I see this happening with my property managers, they are probably not my partner going forward on the on these projects. That, that was the, the worst <laughs> property management group and experience I could ever Fathom. Yeah, yeah, I was 20 minutes away, but we're paying them to say, yeah, hey, um, the the metal roofs are being installed uh, or yeah, installed today and sending us pictures or at least texting me like, yes, every. And so <clears throat> it was kind of the perfect storm. A lot of, you know, I always take all the blame anytime there's a, there's a problem because I'm frankly usually the one that at fault. Uh, but you know, it's it's our ultimately it comes down to Jared and I. So it's it, it was ultimately our fault. But the property management group was telling us that things were being done and they weren't, and they were kind of in cahoots with this contractor wow. also. Um, so on top of everything uh, that Jared mentioned, it, there was bad luck. Like we were supposed to have the roofs replaced, and there was going to be a break in the weather. So here, wire us whatever twenty grand and and we'll get the supplies. And so we did that. And the weather was supposed to be good, but then the weather turned and, oh, we mm. couldn't can't do it. But the property management group was giving us uh, incorrect information also. 
they were never on site. They weren't collecting fee. Like they, they, everything bad that they could do, they did. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So again, we, we got off to such a rough start and we were too trusting, I think. But if you look at the people that we were recommended, we were recommended a crook as a, as a, Mm. uh, you know, a renovation specialist the by the broker who sold us these properties with incorrect facts there were supposedly two two of the units were three bedrooms there was actually only one so everybody listening count walk through i learned that the hard way i count every damn bedroom and bathroom (laughs) on every property that we walk um and so it was just the the bank the the bank was the only positive during this. But everybody that we were, uh, oh, you need to use so and so for your renovation. Oh, you need to use so and so. Everybody were criminals. And what we learned was there's there are so many bad people in this business, mm-hmm. especially in the affordable housing space, that we had uh, you know we had to pay tuition there. Uh, we we needed to get knocked down to learn those lessons of we can't trust anybody. How do we vet these people better? How do I get on site more and, and, and how do we never let this happen again? Because some of the listeners may hear a hundred grand and think, Oh, okay. No big deal because they have higher net worths, but man, bro, like a hundred grand is a hundred grand. I don't care who you are. And when you're just getting started and you're younger, that was a gut punch uh, that, and, and we were shook. We didn't have anybody to go to. Yeah. We had nobody. And, and, and- and I can't harp on this enough. Like you guys, by sharing these stories, obviously we'll vet to make sure you guys, these stories happen, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> but you guys have shown grit. And that is something that no one really ever teaches people where you guys could have just said, you know what? That was a hundred grand. Real estate is not for us. Forget about this. Like this whole world is terrible and people are, are, are crap. Right. But you guys stuck through it and you guys kept pushing through it and said, Hey, no problem. This problem came up. Uh, bad contractor, bad property manager, even the, pe- the people that were supposed to help you hold each other accountable, they didn't come through for you guys. And yeah. I think for people yeah. so starting out to get starting to invest right now in affordable housing, like you, you can expect to these people, but you need to learn from Dane and Jared. Like you need to right. absolutely learn like, hey, they faced these mistakes before. Don't make these same mistakes. Right. Yeah vet your contracts, make sure you get pictures from them, make sure you have a property manager that's like independent and also verifying the work, right? And maybe you show up one day just to kind of check on both of them, just keep everybody honest or something like that, right? So, hey, that was an amazing story for your first transaction, like ups and downs, but you guys got the property stabilized. Like, is the property now like fully section eight now? Like what's going on with the property? And like, are you guys willing to share some numbers? Like, what are you guys grossing now? And what, what are you guys making for cash flow? Yeah. Um, and then the, just to follow up on that last point too, I, I would say the other learning lesson is um, we both wanted passive income. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean you buy the property and forget about it and get your monthly <laughs> statement from your property manager. Like you have to manage the asset. Like it is an, it is an investment yes, right. and you need to treat it like that. And so that, that would be sort of the biggest kind of general learning, uh, learning point is like you have to be on all this stuff. It is not mailbox money when you are the owner and, and asset manager. But um, you have to be on it, but you also know who who should be on it. And that was the one thing, Ken, I didn't get to say is we're brothers. We grew up in the same 10 by 10 bedroom that was, you know, uh, our closets now are bigger than our bedroom. So we, <laughs> like we are we are best friends, but also brothers. And so you would think when we took on this deal that, Oh, Jared is a physician and he's very, um, he's much better at the underwriting and the, I'm more of a creative. I, I start sweating when I talk about underwriting. I know underwriting, <laughs> I can do it, you know, but I would much rather be out talking yeah. with you, talking with brokers, um, looking at a, a turd of a building and getting a vision of, oh, we could do this with it. And then mm-hmm. I turn it over to Jared and say, does this make sense financially? we were both trying to do everything and it took us getting that gut punch to say, okay, as business partners soar, you know, soar with your strengths. What am I good at? What are you good at? Okay. Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, 
and we divvied up those those uh, those That's tasks awesome. and since then it's been much better yeah, yeah. much much better <laughs> um yeah to bring it back to the property so uh i'll do this like a quentin tarantino video i'll give you the ending and go backwards so we no longer yep. own it we sold it um got it we sold it gosh uh, about a year and a half ago for a, 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 about double what we paid for it um and the cool thing with that property is you know to take it back to the beginning all the lumps and bumps um of of everything literally just feeling like it was falling apart i mean we we had some tough conversations together and just ultimately made that decision of we ha we have to see this thing through. Um, and you know, you're in a bad spot when you get people calling you up trying to buy your property because they see how distressed it is. <laughs> you know, they're trying to get it on the cheap. We had a couple cold calls, uh, but we finished it, completed all the renovations, got it fully renovated. And that thing started to hum. Um, and the cool thing was uh, that place was, was in really rough shape. You know, like Dane said, I never saw it till the day we closed. I flew back for closing and we walked a unit and it was shocking and, and, and quite honestly, really sad to see the living conditions in some of the units. Um, they had a maintenance, like the previous owner had a maintenance man who was living on site for free oh and he was like tapping into the electricity from the adjacent unit, um, and taking parts from his unit to fix other units. And, it was just awful, uh, really and truly awful. Um, and so, you know, you know, we uh, renovated the exteriors, uh, fresh paint, new roofs, new driveways. It, it did seventeen or eighteen of actually seventeen of the units ended up turning at some point. So we renovated those really sharp, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, uh, vinyl plank flooring. You know, kind of, you know, your, your sort of stock cabinets, nice countertops, etc. And when we finished all of that work as we're still owning it and it's turning around, we actually got thank you cards from like four or five different tenants uh, saying, yeah. you know, thank you for so caring. Funny. Thank you for the work you did, which was really one of the neatest things. And I think helped us realize that, okay, this, this affordable housing space is, is definitely a place where there's a huge need. We can add a lot of value. It can fit with a, a nice mission for our company and from a business standpoint can be, you know, a, a profitable business too, if we, if we do things correctly. Um, so that was great. It was cash flowing, um, like, f like $5,000 or so a month, um, and really, really doing well. Um, I mean, our kind of projections were if we could get rents at about 825 or 850, this would do well. We eventually got them up to about 925. Wow. Um, so it was, it was great. And, um, out of somewhat out of nowhere, I mean, this is the market's really starting to get hot and we're looking mm -hmm. around to say, okay, how do we, how do we kind of scale more? We bought an additional 20 unit building. And at that point we're feeling like, okay, the, the reserves we have for investing are, are now kind of out there. And what do we do? Do we just hold an operator? Do we keep going? And uh, the broker we bought the second 20 units from kind of shopped our deal, mostly off market, a little bit on market. And we got a, believe it or not, an all cash offer uh, wow. for our property that we sold. Um, in, in like, I think it was like a 16 day closing, um, which was cool. Cause we took that money and then did a 1031 and we bought the equivalent mm -hmm. essentially of 76 units, uh, by selling 20 units, uh, which was great. Um, and I'm, you know, whatever's helpful, I'm happy to kind of jump into more specific numbers on things if that's helpful. And we didn't no, want that's... to sell. We, we're long-term hold guys, but we, and we didn't want to sell. And that was our baby, man. And these places <laughs> yeah. look so beautiful. People would, you know, you drive by the main road and you would see them and it, they would pop, you know, like, wow, those are sharp. And, but that was, that was something that maybe the listener can take too, is try not to get too attached, maybe, especially to your first deal. Cause we had to sell that to, to grow and, and do what we're doing now. We're not big syndicators. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, we may partner with a good, you know, guy or girl here or there, but it has to be the right fit. I, I would rather have 500 units uh, and work with my brother and, and, you know, you can't or, or somebody that yeah. we know that in values align than to have 5,000 units and, and have to answer to a bunch of people that maybe, you know, we don't click with. Yeah. And I completely agree. People need to be philosophically aligned with their partners. Sometimes the decisions you make, are for the welfare of your of your residents and your tenants, right? And I think if you if you lose that alignment, then people will 
partners might question you like, hey, why are you wasting my money here and there, right? So I love that you made that point, Dane, where you talked about being aligned and being partners with the right people so you guys can make the right decisions there. Um, so to bring it back to real estate, I love that you guys were able to disconnect emotionally from your baby. Like that was so much hard work. And congratulations on that deal, first of all. Like I would argue that's almost a home run for you guys. Like oh, you guys had some bumps yeah, yeah. bumps along the way, but you guys hit a home run on your first deal on a 20 unit deal. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then you guys, you know, we talked about the web of impact, right? Where, hey, sometimes you got to let something go so you can help even more people. You guys have heard the amazing stories from some of your residents thanking you guys with thank you cards. That's so cool. Like that's something I can do forever. Um, but you guys took that money and you guys are investing into more units. So let's talk about that, that scale. So you guys went from zero to 20. So you guys are probably conditioned with being uncomfortable. Uh, but now you guys are buying 76 units. Like what was the thought process behind your head? Like, were you guys like, Oh crap, here we go again. Oh, oh, oh. Is, is this going to be in something like our first deal or um, what was going on through your head when you guys bought a 76 unit deal? Gluttons for punishment. Go ahead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A, a, a mixture of excitement. And are we really going to do this again? Um, because the units started to really stack up. Uh, mm. We bought that 20, we bought 76 and we did a few more deals after that all within about a 12 to 16 month period of time. Um, so with that was, I think, after that first deal, especially like I, I became really super focused on, we're not making that type of a mistake again. I mean, if you make a mistake like we did now, I think when the market, there's a lot of uncertainty, maybe some markets are in a downturn. I think you're in a bad spot. I mean, we were lucky that we were, we made that, you know, what could have been a catastrophic mistake in a market that was on fire and taking off and rents mm -hmm. were exploding and people were throwing money at anything and everything. And so that, that helped uh, a lot. So I think we really started to focus on, um, you know, getting even further educated. So we actually joined, uh, joined a two-year multifamily mentorship program because we're like, gosh, we can keep making mistakes and that stings the wallet. And at the same time, like we have really grand plans for this company too. And, and how do we speed that up? Because, you know, time's our, our most precious resource and, yeah. and we want to, you know, we want to scale and, and do that as quickly as we can and, and successfully and smartly as we can. So we we doubled down on our education. I think we, we thought we were educated with the first deal, but we really, really buckled down. And that was great. And then, you know, with the 76 units, it was just a focus, you know, again, on making sure we were vetting things, vetting numbers, um, you know, getting a sense of what, you know, wh where were the the kind of the, the hidden uh, 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 kind of grenades in the property, you know, the <laughs> pain points, you know, how are we going to do this? I think leveraging our partnerships with Section 8 and, um, you know, we do a little bit with uh, the HUD program through the VA as well mm -hmm. to say like, okay, you guys know what we're doing. Here's some properties. What do you think we could, you know, how could we work together? What's your need? What, what do we think from a rent standpoint? So trying to vet some of that stuff up front. Is, is really what we did. And then with growth, you got to start to put in some sort of systems. Like it couldn't just be the frenzy of we got 20 emails or, you know, a text or a phone call from our managers. Like it, it started to then mature as a company of let's have weekly calls with our property mm -hmm. managers to discuss right. the issues. Uh, you know, what are our, you know, our KPIs? Let's make sure we're going over yep. those. Um, so it became all that. We started to really, you know, mature the company as well um, as we added more units. Yeah, but we had the we had now a solid foundation. We had a good property manager who, uh, again, finally clicked with us. You know, personality wise, ethics wise, they had the experience. Um, now we had to. There was some butting of the heads. Now I'm I'm having flashbacks. They wanted to do things their way. They've been doing it this way for 20 years. Well, that's great. Most of that was beautiful. Great. But there were certain things Jared and I wanted, and it really, there were a couple very direct conversations about if you can't do what what we need and what we want, then, then we need to find somebody that will, um, because we're not making mistakes again, or they're going to be it. baby mistakes. And so getting them on board <clears throat> uh, with how we wanted to run the property 
and, and, and vetting them. And now we've got, okay, we've got a solid foundation with them, with contractors, with everything. So now we could, we could grow um, more efficiently. Um, now we still made mistakes. We were drinking from a fire hose. The mistake here was <laughs> you go from whatever 20, well, once we sold our first 20, we only had 20 units to now 168. And we, that's what this, that's what, we overlooked was okay there's one property manager sweet they know what we want they're they're killing it with 20 units oh here's another 148 in in less than a year or, or in about a year they're a small mom and pop shop it, it's literally uh, at the time it was a guy and his daughter um wow so 20 units for them was very doable um and what we found was oh we have to let them know that we're in contract oh, yeah. with 76 units that, oh, we've got another 36 maybe coming in and, and so on and, and so on. And that was the mistake. There was there was initially some um, inefficiency. We're, we always talk about efficient. You know, we, we want to maximize every minute, every dollar <clears throat> and, and operationally, how, how can we run this better? That wasn't happening early on um, and it took obviously them growing and adding staff uh, to get us where we are now. Yeah. And I think so many people take for granted that someone automatically knows what's going on in your head. Yeah. Just because like, Hey, you're buying all these units. Like, Oh, they, they can handle it. But people <clears throat> forget it's a partnership between you, the investors, the property management and the contractor. Like there needs to be really, really good communication. And sometimes people don't, don't emphasize that enough. So yeah. you guys not only guided your your property managers to, hey, you got to staff up. We got a lot of things in the pipeline that might be coming your way. Um, could you give us some examples of what you asked a property manager to do that wasn't you know, part of their 20 years of you know, traditional processes, right? What did you demand from them and why did you demand from them? Like obviously to prevent mistakes, but tell us a little bit more context around that. Yeah, a lot of it was just, you know, to Dane use that word efficiency, just systems around, you know, to improve the efficiency of the operation. So instead of like, oh, hey, unit one is vacant, like, we'll get to it and we'll get it turned, you know, uh, and, you know, that turn may be based on the availability of their maintenance staff at other properties. Mm. And, you know, the fixtures or materials might just be, hey, we have some stuff left over here or there to really like, you know, our, our preference and what we try to, to manage them to is the expectation of, when we get notice that someone's going to vacate, which is usually uh, mm -hmm. you know, 30 days in advance, go in and inspect the unit while the tenant's actually there. Like, mm -hmm. and, and our ask is within, within uh, five days, you know, just to get a sense of like, okay, this just needs paint and maybe a you know, uh, new carpet uh, upstairs, or wow, this is gonna be a heavy turn and, and start ordering materials because you know, we're also fighting you know, a, a lot of shortage of workforce, shortage of materials, you know, delays in getting certain, certain mm -hmm. components. And so let's, let's get all that stuff, you know, let's get a three, four week head start on all that. Uh, so that'd be, you know, one thing. And just, again, kind of trying to help them, you know, maybe mature as a company and have the set standard process for here's how we handle delinquency. Here's how we handle a move out. Here's how we try to turn a unit. Um, you know, let's not just get to it when we can, you know, we try and it's hard on a basic turn, you know, we try to have like a five day turn timeline wow, awesome. with, with like the steps for each day of here's what should happen day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. And some of that feels weird too, because I, I don't think either one of us are micromanagers, but again, you know, to, to heart back on that point, like this is our investment. And at the end of the day, the success or failure is falls squarely on us. And so we need to set those expectations and that actually can, allow us not to micromanage if we can come up with this is how we want things done. And then we are just checking in with them to, to make sure they're fulfilling those expectations allows them to function as an extension as mm -hmm. of, of us uh, and keep the property running as effectively as possible. Yeah. And, and to, and to that, uh, you know, a lot of the listeners probably know this, but taking on a hundred plus units or, or even just 20 units that, that uh, aren't stable. That's a, it's a lot of work, bro. That I mean, you're looking at eight months to a year easily, depending on the size, maybe longer if it's 100, 200 units, just to get that thing stable. You know, it, it's it's not, it's and that's why, again, 
I'm, I'm glad we can talk about our mistakes and, and some of the ugliness mm-hmm. because somebody buys 200 units. Well, it's not that simple. It, it, it's, it really, it maybe, maybe it is and we're not doing it right. <laughs> but it, it takes a while to get that, that sucker stabilized and, mm-hmm. and humming. We're just now, you know, we were having this mm-hmm. discussion uh, yesterday, I believe. But hey, whew, 2023 is going to be good. This year was rough. We haven't taken a penny, you know, like, um, but now we're where we want to be because of these efficiencies and we know what we're doing. And uh, the one thing Jared's great at is now we've got these stabilized. How can we be more efficient? How can we be more efficient? So on our weekly calls, <clears throat> I, I'm a creative. I almost have to text him before and say, what are we talking about today? <laughs> uh, but, but he has set topics. The first, the, you know, the, the first week of the month, we're going to talk about these four topics every single month the second the second week of the month we're going to talk about these three or four topics every single month so nothing gets missed so that we don't get lazy so that our property Mm. managers don't get lazy and and um you know it's not the mailbox money yet but it's a hell of a lot easier than it was three years ago four years ago and 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 again it's, it's learning as you go along but also educating yourself that has been such a huge a huge help for us is is having friends in the business now that mm-hmm. that have gone through it and you know we can pick up a phone and and ask anybody any question Love and uh, and they've gone through it uh, 10 times you know so that having big brother behind you is like that is is a huge advantage yeah and i'm sure now it's getting I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's getting easier for you guys because you have established that foundation you guys have talked about right you guys have developed what I would call like a service level agreement. Like, hey, 30 days, well, as soon as you get a notice to vacate, you guys are inspecting the property. On day one, we do this. On day two, we right. do this. And I think you guys, by establishing your standards and raising that bar for your property managers, not only makes them better, but people don't don't understand this enough. You're providing clarity for people. Because sure. when you guys are continuing to scale, you guys are going to be like, hey, just take this packet that we have figured out and yeah. it works for 160 <laughs> units. So property manager B, as we get grow bigger and bigger, maybe this other property manager doesn't want it. And you guys yeah. can take it on. It's so much easier to educate the people that are coming down for all the deals that you guys have in the pipeline. I got to commend you guys for that. Like, you know, we, we talk about this in corporate America where I used to work is like the standard operating procedures. You got to have meetings, weekly meetings. So you got to look at numbers. If you don't, if you don't measure, you can't manage it. You guys are applying those best practices to your business. And I think you guys are, are destined for success. Um, or continue success. You, you guys have already been absolutely crushing it already. <laughs> and um, to, if, if, you know, the goal is too, is to, you know, show that it's not always easy and, you know, everything's not. a huge success. We literally just had that conversation yesterday where I would say prior to, well, the entire time over this past year after acquiring all those units, I think it was a constant, not even think, I know it was a constant feeling between Dane and I of we're failing at this. Like, this is not going well. This is really hard. Like what, what's going on here? And then finally kind of look, stopping and, and it, you know, we're approaching the end of the year, kind of looking back at the numbers and just the portfolio where we're at to say like, oh, wow, okay, like things are turning around. Like, 20, like to this point, 2023 looks like it's going to be in a more positive direction than 2022 was. So I think, um, I think it's just that growth mindset, though. If you're always, I don't think you're ever going to feel like you got it. You got it. You know, it's, it's perfect. You're always looking for the next way to make it better. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're not okay with that, I think you, I think you're going to want to say, this is just not for me. And I, you know, I need to get out of this, but yeah, it's, it's never felt easy. Even I mean, <laughs> we're sitting here talking now. I'm like, dang, we are doing a good job, I guess. You know, yeah. it's great to hear these <laughs> things, you know, but honestly, a week ago I would have told you, I don't know how good we are at this. You know, this doesn't seem to be working well, but it's, it's just that constant, you know, iteration of looking around to see what's not going well. How do we improve upon it? You know, Maybe tweak that, then find the next point that that's just not working well. Yeah, now it's fine tuning. You know, yeah. not now it's it's uh, how do we get a little more efficient with our our turns? How do, how do we mm-hmm. reduce the expenses? And again, unfortunately, sometimes in affordable, there are positives with affordable housing. There are negatives. The, the the one negative is unfortunately somebody may walk in with their keys, turn them in three months into a twelve month lease. And then when we walk into the apartment, there are holes punched into the walls mm-hmm. and the doors are, 
and maybe a five thousand dollar reinvestment into that unit. So that's what now we're on to that. Like, okay, how, how do we minimize that? How do how do we fix that versus you know where we were four years ago of the 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 lowest of the low. That's that was the worst way that I think I've ever been in mentally, physically, spiritually, when we didn't have anybody, we had no property manager, we had no renovation crew. And I was literally standing out there looking at these 20 units that have tarps that are blowing and in holes in in, in the exterior. Mm -hmm. And uh, people are still living like I, I to go from that to where we are now, I guess, you know, I don't think very highly of, of myself, but I guess we are doing some things right. But it was because we made some mistakes and, 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 you know, we stuck with it. We, we, we were real close. I remember the one call when we were at the lowest of the low. And I said, man, I, I just don't think we're good at this. I, I don't like, how can that happen? He's a physician. He's, you know, obviously very intelligent. I went to grad school on uh, average intelligence, like, how can we not figure this out? My goodness. Uh, but, you know, we just kept our nose down and, and kept grinding and, and the mentorship helped. And, and now we're to the point literally where I think if we added 200 units <clears throat> tomorrow, yeah, it would be some growing pains of, oh, we, uh, but now we know how to get there and, and, and how to make it easier for a property manager. A property manager loves working with us now because she knows Oh, today, and, and she's even sassy about it. I know on today's <laughs> call, we're going to talk about this. So here, I came prepared, blah, 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 blah. Love it. You know, it, it, is, it. It's, it's, it is, it's fun. It, it's really a cool spot to be in right now. And that's a great feeling, guys. Um, you know, I, this might be my last real estate question because I want to make sure people understand, like, hey, what does your team look like now, right? Obviously, it's you, you YouTube Brothers show. But how many contracts are you working with? Like, how many people do you, does your property management company have? Just like rough numbers, just want to get a highlight. So that people are like, hey, for me to get to 150, this is kind of what I need to start thinking about and building my team towards. Are you guys able to share, like, what does your team look like now to kind of handle 160 units plus? Yeah, you know, just one of these gems we learned in this uh, mentorship program, too, kind of depending on the, the level of service, you know, you may want to provide, you know, somewhere between, 70 to 100 units per per person so meaning you know you'll need one uh, property manager one maintenance person one, one maintenance tech for every 80 to 100 units um, and so our the property management company we have there are three property managers now that, that dane mentioned it's a father son and then they hired someone the, the dad is nearing retirement so he's more in the background kind of handles more behind the scenes stuff i'd say we have sort of two boots on the ground and where we we invest, they there are two uh, markets, you know, kind of right next to each other, but separated by some distance. So one of them kind of owns the one market, the other owns the other market, um, and then they have a mixture of, of maintenance uh, techs because not everyone's full time. I, I, I believe, if I remember the numbers, I think they have three and a half essentially maintenance uh, techs. But you know, they have they have some other properties outside of our. Us, uh, we we have most of the assets in their portfolio that they manage, mm -hmm. um, but you know that that's a, a decent rule of thumb. If you're if you're looking to know like, hey, this third party are they are management company are they paying enough attention to us? I would say yeah, you know one one person, one maintenance tech, one property manager per eighty to hundred. Or if you're trying to internalize any everything and uh, have your own management company, that that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah, got it. How about for contractors, Dane? What are you What are you guys using to manage rehabs for everybody? You know, we we just rely on the property managers now. Um, we wow. had looked okay. at taking everything in house of like, hey, let's go vertical with this. And you know, <laughs> sometimes you just have to listen to the universe. Uh, and we were able to make some phone calls to some colleagues and mentors. And the one guy was like, man, there's no way in hell I would do that. And because it's so much work, you know, bringing yeah. everything in house. And we just had that conversation, like, would it save us a little bit of money? Bottom line, probably a little, but oh my gosh, we, we don't want to be micromanagers. This, we found this sweet spot. Now we've worked so hard to get here with this mm -hmm. group. They, as long as they can handle the renovations and things like that, then, then fine. Um, we've 
there have been occasions. <clears throat> the one property that we purchased uh, was an old 1950s hotel. I love those that look. It's it takes me back to like old Vegas, but you know they had the the balconies and the walkways while well, all of the, the wrought iron was rotting and and the cement was crumbling. And I brought we brought out a structural engineer. They were not structurally safe. So on a big job like that, we again on our weekly meetings. Hey, this is what we found on inspection. I think it was a, over a hundred grand worth of, mm -hmm. of of work. They didn't have those connections, and so that's something that that I took on personally because I was here. I could meet with the people. Yeah. And this time, before we just threw a hundred thousand dollars at some <laughs> schmuck, uh, I'm trying not to swear on your podcast. <laughs> We actually, I sat down and, and vetted uh, three people, um, sat down and interviewed two. The third didn't show up for the interview, so we decided not there to go. go with him. Uh, the The second was okay, but sent off some spideys, uh, my spidey <laughs> senses. The third was a was a guy, and a, he's one of my favorite dudes I've ever met. I mean, he looks like he had chewed rot iron and eaten rot iron for breakfast. Like an old haggard guy that had been doing it 35 years. Wow. Um, and he sold me on himself. You know, he lived Love locally. Uh, he had incredible references, but uh, he sold me on he's going to take that job personally. Um, and, man, they knocked it out of the park. Love it. We negotiated out, you know, he's no dummy. He wanted, I think if he could get 50, I think initially he wanted 50 or 60% of the money up front. And I, and now we have the scar tissue where I can just say, look, <clears throat> we've made this mistake before. And, and, yeah. and I told him the example, I'm like, I need to protect my kids, my company, my mm -hmm. brother. Can we, and then he was more than happy. Well, let's do a 25, 25, 25. You know, we worked out a, a payment plan and man, it was, it was so easy. It, but but, <laughs> I was on site yes. uh, at least once a week, twice a week, checking in, texting with him and his foreman. Um, so on those big jobs like that, sometimes we do have to go outside of our property manager. But uh, we've learned that it can't be a passive thing. Like it, no. we have to be involved daily or, or weekly, you know, depending on where we are on the project at, at the very least. No, agreed. And guys, congratulations on all your successes. You guys are absolutely crushing it. I, I, I want to make sure I thank you guys for what you guys do. I, I share with this story with you guys in the beginning before we start recording. It's like without people like you, I would have never had a stable home to grow up in in low-income housing. So really, seriously, thank you for what you guys do. You guys are changing the lives. You guys are providing a stable home for so many kids. Your kids are going to be so proud of you guys for just the impact you guys are having on so many families' lives. Um, they must be so proud. And if not, like, I'm already proud. And I know they're going to say this someday when they watch this podcast themselves. So thank you for what you guys do. I mean, what, are you, what do you guys need in your business right now? Do you guys need more power for capital? And how do people reach out to you? So what do you guys need in your business and how do people reach out to you guys when they want to learn more about your business? Yeah. It, you know, Dane touched on this earlier, you know, we're not syndicators, but we do like to work, you know, closely sort of in small groups, small partnerships with people that, that have a similar, similar values. You know, we're long-term investors. We want to invest in that affordable housing space. We're not going to promise people, you know, massive returns or all your money back in three years. You know, it's, it's a long-term play for us. Um, mm -hmm. And so if, if that resonates with you, that mission <clears throat> and the fact that, you know, you know, we're able to run these effectively and efficiently and, and get good returns in our investments, I'd say, you know, hit us up. Our, our website is our company's name, which is Aspen Realty. Uh, so it's mm -hmm. www.aspenrealtyco.com. Um, or you can you know, email me. It's Jared, J-A-R-O-D at aspenrealtyco.com. Love it. Right. Yeah, I think that's the thing. We, now... You know, capital it would be nice. Um, we are looking to to continue to grow. The market's a little uh, crazy, so we're looking at creative. We're actually looking at a couple creative financing deals now. So we want to try to minimize the amount of capital that we put out there with with uh, these mm -hmm. you know, deals that we're looking at. But um, you know, the big thing with us is yeah, we just want good dudes and dudettes, you know, to to run with um, that that. And in some cases, I'm getting text messages while we're on this. There's two, the guys are 22 years old. They want to invest in a deal just south of Columbus here. 
Um, they're young. They're brilliant. They're going to knock it out of the park. Um, they're 22. I tell them all the time, wow. screw you guys because you're so young. <laughs> and jealous. Uh, but, but, but they want to learn. They, so there's that aspect too. So if somebody wants to invest in, and learn the ropes, you know, we, we're more than happy to do that. But uh, I think the one thing that you could take away from the, the podcast is hopefully people think we're good dudes. I think we're good mm-hmm. dudes. We're always going to be yes. honest and we don't have a problem telling people, Hey man, we screwed up on this one. Guess what? You know, Love we it. made this mistake, but we're, we fixed it and we'll never make that again. And, and, and here's what we, we will do to prevent that in the future. So I love it, man. Yeah. I mean, Dane, Jared, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I got to wrap this up, yes. but you guys have shared some super valuable information. I hope to have you guys back on the show eventually so we can talk about the learnings from this next big deal that you guys are having uh, going on there. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll talk soon. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Ken.